0: books I've got out are collaborative works between me and other people some of them quite famous like Brian Tracy and Ron LeGrand and Lee Steinberg, he's the guy on whose life the movie jerry Maguire was made so I, I, I get in these business groups where there's a lots of people like I'm, I'm the least famous and dumbest guy in the room and that's the room i want to be in and so we wind up getting into a collaborative effort where we'll put together a book where each one of us writes a chapter so for the books i've got are like that and, and the fifth book most recently
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got William Benner. William, thanks for making time. Awesome to be here with you, Jess. So, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate before we got started here talking about to tell me you've been listening to the show. That's, that's nice to hear. So besides all the stuff on williambenner.com, I thought maybe as an intro, I'd start with some of the stuff that your laser company has done. So that's right. penguin, and you, I'm going to read a list because it's kind of an awesome list. And then you correct me. Does that work? Sure. Sounds okay. Great. So you guys have won. So you've been in this business for over 30 years and it's like lasers for theme parks and music shows and all sorts of applications but you've won over 400 artistic awards you've had over 100,000 clients now your theme park clients are like Disney World, SeaWorld, Universal Studios, in the movie industry 20th Century Fox and DreamWorks, in the tech world Boeing and Lawrence Livermore, in the B2C world you know Mercedes-Benz, Yahoo, Google, T-Mobile, IBM, BMW in the sports world, Super Bowl events, Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles, my favorite, Chicago Bulls, Music Side, Drake, Usher, Kanye, Jay-Z, Jennifer Lopez, Justin Timberlake, Coachella, My Favorite, Metallica. Yeah. I mean the list was way, way longer, but those were just some of the ones I picked out. Fifty patents. What what am I missing there? Four books.
0: Yeah, so I think well I think the <laughs> If we want to throw one more in the background of the Windows 10, you know, so the, the background you see on Windows 10, that that thing that looks like a window that that was done with a laser it was done with our software and was done with a laser that we sold to the customer that did that work with Microsoft. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride, you know, and it's all something I started basically not completely intending to to get into a business. I started as a a guy in a rock band, you know, is a three piece rock band. I played bass and we had a a drummer and a guitarist and we basically played top forties, um, things for our college friends. And I had a girlfriend at the time who impressed upon me that it wasn't about sounding good. It was all also about looking good and, and having a spectacle. You have to be a spectacle to be successful. So so I created a lighting system just with all Home Depot stuff. There was no AmericanDJ.com that you could do and you could just buy this stuff online. I had to make it all out of stuff you get at Home Depot. We're talking about PVC pipe and wood and that sort of thing. And at the time, you know, the, the big bands back in the 80s where Blue Oyster Colt and Pink Floyd, and they had a laser as a part of their gig. And so I figured, well, we need a laser. And so I went about looking how we can get a laser into our uh, act. And it was really super difficult. It was super expensive. Uh, I could use the word unobtainium. But I was able to put together something. I found some lasers on surplus that were used in Kodak developing machines and was able to put together something like what we call scanners today made out of speakers and put together some software and an old Z80 processor and put it all together and it worked and it got our band a lot of notoriety but what happened with the band was what always happens you know Nick moved up to Jacksonville to be with his brothers to start a business and Bob moved somewhere and I was left in Norman Beach, Florida by myself and so you know, my, the band fizzled, the band fizzled away, but my interest in lasers and music continued. And I met one other guy up in Arlington, Virginia. And so, you know, we, we got together just by telephone by back then it's the eighties and said, Hey, I, he was in a magazine article about lasers and what he had done. I said, Hey, you, you've done some things. I've done some things. Let's get together and turn this thing into a business. And what we've done is really invented an industry. Everything you've just talked about, started from nothing at the time that we got into there was only 15 companies in the entire world doing laser shows and in order to do those laser shows those people had to do everything we're talking about some people that actually blew their own glass tubes lasers were all water-cooled at the time so they had to be plumbers they all ran with three three three-phase electricity so they had to be electricians each of these 15 people that did this stuff wrote their own software so they did all the stuff in addition to doing the show and so they didn't do anything very well and so my partner Patrick Murphy and I considered you know if we concentrate on just the software and the control aspect of this this is something that we can really kind of really concentrate on and refine and the 15 companies at the time who did laser shows were very happy to have to relinquish the control of the software and hardware to over to us so that they can concentrate on doing laser shows. And so now what was interesting was that they were so willing to give us the relinquish, the power of the software and the control because they, they thought, well, everyone knew everyone else. It's like, look, you're only going to sell 15 of these things. It's no sweat are far back. And so, and, you know, Patrick and I not being Harvard business uh, school graduates, we didn't know what the potential of this thing was. But what we did is we just concentrated on making the software great. And we also concentrating on putting the information out there because at the time you had these 15 companies, they were all very secretive. Nobody really was into sharing information. And so, in, in and also each of the companies used their own terminology. So we said, we need to figure, we need to settle on a terminology. What are we going to call this stuff? You know, the, the things that, the vertices in the data file, what are they called? And we say, okay, where well, they're going to be called points. And, and Okay, a collection of vertices, what's that going to be called? We're going to call that a frame, a collection of frames. What's that going to be called? An animation. So so we put together something called the laser glossary, and we published it, and originally it was on paper, and eventually once we got a website, we published it on our website and that sort of thing. And the point is, is that as we put this information out there, as we basically taught people how to do laser shows— the we never ran out of customers you know everyone was predicting we're going to sell that last system you're going to get that last sale and what are you going to do when you sell the last one and we were just like i say as non-business people we weren't worried about that we just said we're just going to concentrate on what we do well and it's just we have never run out of customers and it's just grown and grown and grown and it's growing at a small a lower rate now with the whole covid situation but it hasn't completely stopped but it so so you know like i say we're we're just we just continue to Concentrate on what we do well. And in addition, what's interesting is that that what we do, the craft of doing laser shows, of creating hardware and software to do laser shows, that has led to other things and, and other product lines that we sell, one being a semiconductor product and another being the laser scanners. And the laser scanners originally intended for laser projectors We now manufacture, and they're being used in 3D printers and 3D scanners and self-driving cars and a lot of things. So this one little thing that led from my band has now – it led to all of the entertainment venues you mentioned and also self-driving cars and Pittsburgh and Arizona and the different things that are running around and 3d printers. And the ones that we have in our very office right here. And as so it's led to a lot of different things, you know, one thing starting, starting off in a band. So, so starting a band is probably not a bad place to start sometimes.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, let's talk about this, you know, from we need lasers at our rock band show to now you're, Inventing I mean in some of the research I was doing on you guys, I mean I saw some of those scanners. I mean it looked like it was the size of your pinky finger. That thing oh, it looks is it, tiny.
0: It's the tip of my finger. It's this it's the size of the tip of my finger. That's the whole thing. So everything inside's even smaller.
1: And and like you said, three D printers and self driving cars are using these things. What are they using them for?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that makes me excited about scanners is that it is the thing that makes a a laser useful. So a laser just produces a beam of light. That's all it does. It's just a beam. Congratulations, you got a beam. Now, if you want to actually do something with it, usually you have to move it around. You have to spread it out and that sort of thing. And so what a scanner does is it moves the beam. So now you can use a pair of scanners, one for the horizontal axis and one for the vertical axis, and now you can either project or record or do everything like that. So with self-driving cars, what they do is they send out an infrared light beam, and it's scanned with our scanners. It moves back and forth and up and down, and it basically uh, can project the light outward from the car over a broad angle. And, and then what happens is through what's called time of flight, in other words, how long it takes for the beam to bounce off of something and bounce back to the detector, back through those same mirrors on those same scanners, that, that timing tells you how distant it is. And they collect a number of pixels, and, and it's just kind of that's how it works. And 3D printers work in a similar way. It's got a, a beam. It's usually ultraviolet light beam. And you can think about UV cure epoxy, and all you do is you direct through these XY scanners the uv beam onto a plane of this epoxy and, and and basically where the beam is it cures the epoxy right there and it does that repeatedly over and over and over again and so it just draws a picture of the of the that particular plane of the item and then repeat and draws the next plane and repeat and draws the next plane and so what the scanners do is they basically move the beam around they 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 move it and they project it and they can, you know, move it in both axes and that sort of thing. So that's how, that's how it works.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you think about the cliches out there about how often inventors don't make money. They invent something great. And somebody else figures out how to make the money from it yeah, r- yeah. later. Right. And, and you've beaten those odds and, and you, you built business that's doing a, is in business 30 years later, <laughs> which yeah. hardly anybody oh, yeah. can say. Right. But I mean, but is you know doing millions and millions of dollars and and you're you haven't stopped innovating and you're continuing to invent and when you think about like the lessons you couldn't have learned any other way than actually doing this yourself what's what's an innovation philosophy or or just a rule of thumb that you use that you feel like really has been a part of this you know three decades of success
0: yeah so the interesting thing is this it's the to me a lesson in business is um, taught in the book, The E-Myth. It's you know, written by Michael Gerber. And I wrote, I, I uh, met with Michael Gerber when he received his Lifetime Achievement Award. I received my book, my the award for my first book. So I, I was able to meet him, but he really changed my life and my business because he wrote this book called The E-Myth that talks about the entrepreneur's journey and really the artist's journey. And because um, his book is about how entrepreneurs actually start large businesses, it is artists and craftsmen that start small businesses. And because artists and craftsmen know their art or their craft very well, they they probably don't know business very well. And so they always get into the same kind of trouble. And so in, in our case, what it meant was that we were able to build my business to to a, a level of about 1.2 million and just stagnated there and stayed there for a number of years until I ran into a business group called the Mastermind Group, where I started uh, chatting with other guys, and they were—it's like everyone was talking about the E Myth, and I was like, "Wow, I got to read this book." And so I, I read the book, and and what's in the book is talks about basically organization and systemization and new ways of thinking about the business. And so once we started doing that and applying the lessons of the E Myth, and also staying in the mastermind group and learning from all of those guys, is that's when we really started to to grow. And so to me, the lesson is. You can only get so far by yourself. You only have so much in your head. Whether uh, you know wh- whether you're the marketing guy, but you don't have the product knowledge. Whether you're a product guy, but you don't have the the marketing knowledge or the business knowledge. Whatever it is, if you're kind of an individual guy, you can only go so far before you're going to need something else. And whether that something else is a podcast. Or a book, or a mastermind group, or something else. That is what you're going to be needing to go to the next step. So, so if you've got a business and you're stagnating, these are the things to look at. These are the areas to look at because, like I say, you can only get so far by yourself. If you already knew the next steps, you'd already be doing the next steps. So, yeah.
1: You know, it's such an interesting book because, you know, when I had run into it, I had come out of mergers and acquisitions at Citigroup and. We had been doing, you know, some larger deals and I was actually running a, you know, I was a CEO of a of a private equity fund and we'd raised tens of millions of dollars already, right? And what I thought was fascinating about it is there's people who look down on that book and they're like, oh, that's that's too simple or something. And yeah, every time I hear that, I ask them a few questions about how professionalized their systems are and how crisp their systems are. And Without fail, without fail, it's not like they've surpassed the stuff that books teaches about. And if they would just bring a little intellectual humility to it, right, and oh, sure. and be willing to set aside the like, well, I do have a degree from Harvard or whatever, right? And right. the the elements in there about like the level of professionalism and the the fact that our customers are looking for consistency in our offering, right, it's, it's something that so many of us, regardless of the size of business – can, if we're willing to look for the parts we have to learn from instead of the parts we've already passed, there's sure. real wisdom there, isn't there?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. And not only that, when you talk about simple, my son's a, a basketball coach. He coaches bas- high school and young youth basketball, basically. And, you know, every time I hear that word simple, I think about the fundamentals, the fundamentals of basketball. It's it's when, when the kids start getting all this fancy stuff and trying all this fancy stuff, that's when they start kind of breaking down. And it's the fundamentals. If you concentrate on the fundamentals, that's how you, you're going to win the game. So, you know, if somebody says, oh, that's too simple, well, maybe you're not concentrating on the fundamentals you know there's a lot to the fundamentals
1: well and i do feel like sometimes there is you know sometimes by figuring things out i get to be the smart guy and it feels good to get the praise and to get the attention and to get the money and and being special can almost be like an addiction at least for me you know and you know following what that book says and like you know basically going through your whole business and writing everything down like a manual so somebody could run another location of your business elsewhere without you. Right. Yep. And then just actually using the manual for your own team. You know, there's this like fear of, well, maybe I won't be as special. If I write it down, then anybody can do it. Then I won't be the special one. And it it takes some honesty about the fact of like, yeah, that is actually a problem in like keeping it separate instead of having instead of pushing the knowledge further and further down the organization, which, you know, on our outside voice, none of us would admit that, right? But then when you're honest or like, you know, I think about some of the people who've been on the show when we've had some more vulnerable one-on-one conversations and they've said that sure. to me of like, well, I, I'd i like to think that my 20 years of expertise make me the one who knows here. I don't know if I want everybody else to know, right? Sure. And yeah. you really are choosing between this, like, my personal gratification versus the business's success. And, you know, can I put our whole team's success ahead of my own? It sounds like such an easy yes, but sometimes it's actually a real a real tug of war.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, we refer to that as a, uh, broadly a scarcity mentality. And, you know, the scarcity of knowledge... Creates value, and I tell you what. So we had a guy who used to work for us, and he he used to take a lot of pride in doing this one thing, and and you know just wouldn't share the information on this one thing. And what I finally told him is, look, if you're the only person that can do this thing perfectly, then this thing is the only thing that you're ever going to get to do. Right? You're not going to break out of this, and. I'm always pushing our guys to kind of operate at a higher level, you know, just trying to get, trying to operate at a higher level, bring somebody up, a junior person to, to learn what it is that they do so that they can operate at a higher level. Because there's always room to operate at a higher level.
1: So one of the things that's interesting to me is this idea of you go from making, you know, laser shows for Metallica, which I think is awesome, right? To now you've got the electric car industry wanting your stuff. Can you, can you talk about, just any of the innovation struggles or any of the process struggles that you had to overcome to get there? Yeah, most definitely.
0: Yeah, so what's interesting is that it can be asked, okay, where do our innovation ideas come from? Does it come from out of your head or does it come from a customer, right? And in and many cases for us, it's from a customer. And so, you know, to give you an example, we have a customer – who a few years ago, they're looking for laser projection. They want to do laser projection in space. They wouldn't tell us why, but they they say, we need to project 180 by 360 degrees out in space. We're going to send something on a a rocket. It's going to go through the Van Ellet radiation belt and and this is what it needs to do, and we know you could do some of this stuff, can you help us do the rest of it and we said, yeah, okay, so we already made a wide angle lens that project project one hundred and eighty by three hundred sixty degrees we already made this the laser controller the thing's going to control the scanners back and forth and modulate the light beam we already made that stuff, so it's not a problem but and and the scanners at the time we didn't make those, but there's one part that we didn't make, which is This this thing that turns on and off the laser, especially reliably, they said this thing has got to be 100 percent reliable. It's got to be ESD. It's got to be basically bulletproof. Nothing can happen to it because we can't just drive a truck out there, a repair truck and and fix this thing. And so I said, okay, well, no problem. Uh, I'll I'll just find the, the guy who who's already invented this one thing that we need and I'll put that together. And they and they said, look, we want to do some one stop shopping, because at first we were saying, yeah, sure, we make the lens. Uh, I can tell you where you get the scanners, and they said, no, we we want to buy everything from you, and it's government money, and, and it's going to be good money. So if you can figure out how to do it, we'll buy it all from you. And so I said, oh, great. So so we looked into a 100% reliable ESD – not even DSD compliant. It's – when I say ESD, I mean electrostatic discharge. Something – laser diodes are very sensitive devices, and if it's, it's possible you walk up across the carpet, and you touch the thing, and it just stops working for some reason. So nobody had solved this problem, it turned out. I, th- I thought it'd be a slam dunk, no problem. We'll just, we'll just get this stuff, we'll buy commercial stuff, put it all together and, and ship it and it'll be done and couldn't do that because the ESD part of it had not been solved. And so I started looking into, okay, so what is it? Well, let's see, it's 35 amps in one nanosecond. Well, gosh, that's, uh, that sounds impossible to, to overcome. How, how are you going to protect the laser diode? This very sensitive little thing from 35 amps in 1 nanosecond and 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 especially since currently nobody else had solved this problem so i am an innovative guy and unfortunately i can't really put together Like I haven't really codified for myself, okay, the steps, okay, the first thing you do is this. The second thing you do with this, you had Shane Snow on in your last session who was really great, and he said, okay, you've got to be skeptical, and yep, I'm definitely skeptical, and you've got to be a lateral thinker, and yep, I'm definitely a lateral thinker, but I haven't really codified exactly how how I put these things together to lead to these innovations, but nevertheless – Within a, a, a few days, I had formulated six separate ways to protect the laser diode from ESD. And, and we had eventually, through a series of experiments over a half a year, boiled those six ways down to one, which we then refined. And in the end, we were able to ship systems to this company that th- th- accomplish the same. And so, so they bought eight of them. And like I say, it was good money. It's, it's good government money to do this aerospace stuff. But that was it. That was the end of the the gig. And and so I started thinking, well, is there anything else we could do to this thing? Is there any other potential customers for this? And there really weren't. But but what was very valuable, the most innovative thing we'd done was we'd made the ESE protection in this system. So I said, you know, if we can extract this and and encapsulate it and put it into its own little thing – we everybody needs ESD protection. It's not just aerospace people. It's people making commercial products and construction lasers and all kinds of other things that need ESD kind of protection. And so we created a part it's called Laserb, and it's like a an ESD absorber for laser diodes. We called it Laserb, and we packaged it and we, we sell these things. We found a foundry a, a, in Taiwan to make the semiconductor for us, and it cost us, you know, twenty five cents and. You know, we sell these things depending on the quantity for up to eight dollars so it's quite profitable and yeah so that so that's how we did that you know and but it all started with the customers can you do this we've we seen you do this laser show stuff we see you, you do laser projection. we need laser projection. can you can you modify your laser projection for what we do And so we get a lot of customers come to us with this kind of thing and the self-driving cars w- was kind of the same thing it's a uh, customer comes to us and say we know you do this one thing can you can you help us to do this laser scanning for for cars you know so we got into it like that it's just customers come to us with an idea we say hmm, let's this sounds interesting it sounds like an interesting pursuit it sounds like an interesting technical challenge and fortunately the company is it's a sole it's it's it, it, it's it is it's not a public company it's a privately held company and i i get to decide what we work on and a lot of those decisions are made based on the how exciting it sounds or how technically challenging it is or something like that. You know, I'm still not a Harvard graduate. I still haven't learned all the lessons that I should have learned from Harvard Business School. But because of this, I, we go out on, I don't want to call them tangents, but we, we go on what, what seems like exciting pathways for us, which often do wind up becoming products for us that we then offer to everybody.
1: I love it. Well, you know, I feel like there's a lot of lessons in there about, you know, a getting out there and doing things enough that give people the sense, Oh, this is the kind of person that could solve a problem for us. Like you're pioneering so many things in different spaces that people come to you and say, Hey, could you solve this problem for me? Like you've got a reputation that precedes you. Right. And your open-mindedness and flexibility, instead of saying we don't sell that, like your willingness to ask, could we, right. Which, you know, for me can be really tough in the like, you know, my ADHD, it's like, oh, squirrel, you know, yeah. shiny well, penny syndrome, too. right? For sure. Um, yeah. And yet, if you can manage the like, or if you can make sure that the business is managed, so the visionary entrepreneur like yourself actually can right. go see, can we double the size of the company because we open up new markets, sure. right? And and yeah. have e-myth the business enough that it can let you aside to go explore and, and go be the hunter, the hunter to bring home the bacon, right? Yeah. And I think I also really like that story because, you know, I feel like the the business media really likes a a nicely packaged story of, all of a sudden, this idea came to me, bestowed from the heavens, fully formed, because I'm such a genius, and now we have this great thing that everybody knows us for. When in reality, it's it's much less dramatic than that. Both in my experience and the stories that I get to hear and the books I read, right, of this iterative like you actually listen to a customer, you connect these dots from other realms that, the other unrelated realms, and then it doesn't work and you just don't quit. And, you know, and this leads to that. And then you're driving around not thinking about it. And all of a sudden something pops into your brain of, I wonder if it could apply over here. You know, like it's not as exciting. It doesn't sound like a movie. (laughs) It doesn't sound like an exciting, dramatic movie, but yet that is so much more relatable of, if I'm trying to do something, you know, like I want to get into a sector that's maybe much more prestigious than the sector I've been in or something, right? And to hear like, oh, I don't have to quit my business and go back to Harvard to break in, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like optimistic, like, oh, maybe I could do it too.
0: Yeah, yeah. What you just said reminded me of two things. One is that Windows was Windows 3.1 was a 10-year-old overnight success, (laughs) right? It was dubbed an overnight success. It took them 10 years to get there. Uh, and our thing, when you talk about driving around and the idea coming to you, one one of the things that is in our scanner is called a position sensor one of the buddies i work with a technical guy who was driving around in the rain and the windshield wipers were gone like this and it creates this kind of arc-shaped pattern on on the windshield where it clears out most of it but there's this arc-shaped clear thing you look through but the rest of it still got rain and 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 we, he's looking as he's driving home he's looking at this arc-shaped thing he says you know i wonder if we could use this arc-shaped thing for our position sensor he went home and immediately started sketching out stuff and working in solidworks and trying to put it together but uh, so sometimes you are out there driving around and this idea comes to you. So that was kind of funny.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, we haven't even talked about your books. You know what? Let's start here. If somebody goes to williambenner.com, what are they going to see there? What's What's your personal website about?
0: Yeah, it's mostly about me and what I've done and kind of the, I've been on a, t- a couple of TV shows I've had a couple of business book projects, and the four business books I've got out are collaborative works between me and other people, some of them quite famous, like Brian Tracy, And Ron LeGrand and Lee Steinberg, he's the guy on whose life the movie Jerry Maguire was made. So I I get in these business groups where there's a lots of people, like I'm I'm the least famous and dumbest guy in the room and that's the room I want to be in. And so we wind up getting into a collaborative effort where we'll put together a book where each one of us writes a chapter. So four of the books I've got are like that. And, And the fifth book most recently is a book entirely about laser scanners. And so, and the reason is, is because people- when people think about making products a lot of times people they have an idea it could be just a person out there driving in their car they have an idea for a product have no idea how to how to how to accomplish it but no it it might involve a laser somehow but there's no books anywhere that they can go to get say, to to learn okay well how do i put this thing together what do i do so that was really the purpose for my laser scanning book it's it is starting from an idea and and here's the, it literally takes you by the hand and step by step by step here are the laser here here are the t- types of laser products here's what they do one i've got this 10 step product creation kind of formula there's that is in the book and so you know so, so that's the kind of thing it's basically for people who who find out about William Benner and they and they they wanna use me as a consultant or something like that. That's really the place to go up there and learn about me. You know, it's not I'm not selling, there's nothing you could buy on the website. It's just uh here here are the different areas of endeavor that I've been involved with and a contact form. Let me know if I can help you type deal. That's the kind of the big picture with that website.
1: I love it. Well, can we maybe end part one here with your choice of either the best advice you've ever received or a piece of advice you would go back and give a younger version of yourself?
0: Ah, probably the younger version of myself. Yeah. And the younger version of myself would be don't try to do everything yourself. You know, seek out others, seek out mastermind groups, seek out books that can help because you can only get so far by yourself. That is the lesson that I've learned and hopefully learned it well enough that I have to continue to learn and get over and over and over again.
1: That's great. Well, thanks for doing this, everybody. Please tune in to part two of our interview with William Benner. Thanks, William.